You're listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell, bringing theology to life. Hey guys, and welcome to Oxford Big Questions. So Oxford Big Questions is all about exploring life's biggest questions and seeing whether the Bible, and in particular the person of Jesus, can provide compelling and reliable answers. So tonight we're delighted to welcome Thomas Fretwell. Thomas is a Christian speaker, podcaster, and author of the book, Who Am I? Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World. And tonight, Thomas is going to chat to us on the big question, is there meaning in the madness? What COVID-19 has revealed about human purpose and identity. So there'll be a short 20 to 25 minute talk and then time for a Q&A. So yeah, hope you enjoy and Thomas, over to you. Thank you very much. Okay, so welcome to the Big Question series. It's a real pleasure to be able to share with you today. I wrote a book on the subject of human identity, and I'll share with you some of the contents tonight. Now, of course, I'm sure I don't need to tell you all that, well, the last year and a half have been pretty unprecedented in our lifetime. The fact that we're actually doing this over a Zoom call right now testifies to this. If you remember, it was last March, wasn't it, that the COVID-19 crisis really hit us in a way that we knew it was going to have serious ramifications. But I'm sure none of us expected that a year later we'd still be in this situation. None of us probably expected the tragic death toll, the huge disruption to our lives, uh, things like lockdown and social distancing. We'd never heard of those types of behaviours before the separation, the isolation, all the uncertainty, the fear and the frustration and anger in a lot of people has caused huge social and uh, political division. And all of these things have contributed to the current moment that we find ourselves in. And it's a good time for us to ask ourselves, what do we do in a situation like this? Where do we go from here? The pandemic has revealed much about human nature. We fear death. That's one of the main things. We still have a huge fear of death. We cannot control everything. It's revealed also that we have, uh, in many ways, a very complicated relationship with authority. It's shown us that maybe we've been taking certain freedoms and privileges for granted. We've also been made to realise just how important friends and family are to the human experience. And if anything, it's helped us realise that no amount of Zoom calls or technological interaction can ever replace the significance of human touch and intimate contact. And one last thing, in many ways, I'd say that it is highlighted to us all that we need a hope for the future. If I could use a theological term, we need to know our destiny. It's so important. We must have something to live for. Much of the normality of our life over the last year and a half have been stripped away. Many of our routines, the aspirations, the social lives that we were all living, our job prospects, education prospects have all been shaken. All of these things now have been shaken and in many ways they've been shown to be temporal. So we must ask ourselves in light of this, what remains? On what do we place our hope and where do we find our meaning? Let me ask you this question or, or put this to you as a proposal. What if all of these things in life that we've just listed are the things that keep us so busy but what if they've also been keeping us from really examining the foundation of our lives? Those things which were only ever meant to be peripheral had actually become the centre. And I would say now is a unique opportunity for us to re-examine our lives. And this is really the subject that I want to address with you for the next 15, 20 minutes today. The BSA, the British Science Association, they released a survey uh, revealing almost nine in 10 young people do not think that scientists or politicians are talking to them when discussing COVID-19. And with that in mind, I do want to speak directly to you all now. 
A few years back, as it was mentioned in the introduction, I wrote a book on human identity. It's called Human Identity in a Confusing World. It was published in 2019, just before we really had any idea what was coming. But the reason I wrote the book, it grew out of my time working with young people, hearing their questions, seeing the problems they're struggling with, but also noticing they were not being given good answers. At best, they were being given contradictory answers. But many of the questions that they were ask, asking, the things they were struggling with, revolved around this question of identity. Who are we? Meaning. Is there any meaning to life? Purpose. What should I be doing with my life? There was a real crisis of meaning for the younger generation. And this was manifesting itself in many ways, particularly with the rise in depression and anxiety. I noticed this particularly. And I feel now that with the COVID-19 pandemic, we are seeing these things accelerated, that these trends are increasing and growing at an alarming rate. And it's it's actually forcing people to re-examine these questions again. I wouldn't say COVID-19 created a lot of these problems, but it has amplified them, if I could say it like that. You see, the pursuit of meaning that is so vibrant, often in the younger generation, must be met with substance. These are good questions. It's a wonderful pursuit, but it must be met with something worthy of how rich a pursuit it is. And rather than simply having temporal rewards or things that ultimately cannot satisfy the deep longings of our heart, we must give something that you can stand on, something solid that is guaranteed. And not taking these issues seriously. Quite often, it's a mistake that older generations look back and, and say, well, it's a teenage thing as you search for meaning but it's not this this question of meaning reverberates throughout the whole of life it doesn't actually matter on your age now not taking this seriously will have tragic consequences if there are any house music fans i won't ask you to uh, admit to that but there was a very famous dj his name is dj avici he was a swedish house dj his name was, his name was tim bergling actually he was a grammy nominated artist at the peak of his career doing very well traveling the world playing his music and it was in 2018, he finished one of his sets, he went up to his hotel room, he smashed a glass bottle, and he slit his wrists. Now, this is a tragedy. And what fascinated me in a, in a tragic way was the statement that was released by his family afterwards. I want to read just a small section of that to you now to emphasize this principle. They said this, our beloved Tim was a seeker, a fragile artistic soul searching for answers to existential questions. He really struggled with thoughts about meaning, life and happiness. He could not go on any longer. He wanted to find peace. Meaning, life, purpose, happiness, peace. These are the cries of a generation who are being told to search for answers in all the wrong places. And I watch this and my heart grieves because the Bible has always had answers for these questions. These are the very things that it addresses. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, the thief came, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The psalmist wrote, you will, you will make known to me the path of life. Your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament writes that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these questions are addressed over and over, over again in the Bible. But of course, this is the one place that the younger generation are not being directed to try and answer these questions. And it's a tragic shame. You might remember if you saw the story a year or so ago, or a couple of years ago, maybe, of Britain's youngest lottery winner. 
a young a young lady called Jane Parks. I think she was 17 at the time. She became her story hit the press not because she was the youngest lottery winner, but because of what she was trying to do. You might remember she was actually in the process of suing uh, Camelot, the lottery bosses, for ruining her life. And what struck me as I read her story was this little part of an interview that she gave to The Independent. Let me read to you a couple of quotes. She said this, people look at me and think, I wish I had her lifestyle. I wish I had her money, but they don't realize the extent of my stress. Now, we may laugh immediately at that statement and think, well, I'll I'll take a bit of stress if it means I I could win the lottery. But listen to the next part of her statement. And this is where where you can see uh, the cries of the heart here. And this is remember, this is in an interview for the newspaper. She says, I have material things. But apart from that, my life is empty. What is my purpose in life? And I read this and I thought this is a young 17 year old who's really crying for help through to a media person who's interviewing her here what is my purpose in life my life is empty you see the very things that the world had been telling her would bring satisfaction money freedom to do whatever you want with that money did not deliver and she was feeling empty after that and this is a story that could be repeated over and over again when what we are told will bring satisfaction does not deliver we we spiral into despair and at the end of 2020 with everything that went on through that year Things had got so bad that the the most recent UK poll, the end of last year, has had uh, the statistics at 89% of young people believe their lives have no meaning or purpose. That's nine out of 10. Now, this is a shocking and saddening statistic. Nine out of 10 people believe their lives have no meaning or purpose. And I believe this statistic is explained with a corresponding statistic that was shared in the same article. It said this, only 1% of the same age group that were polled identified as belonging to a church. Now, do you think there's a connection? Let me ask you that. And I want to make this connection. This is what I want to focus on now, because I believe this part of the conversation is often left out of discourse in the public square. In the days before Google took over the world, really, as a search engine, you might remember there was a search engine called Ask Jeeves. It, it had a, a lovely butler and you would you would log on and you'd ask your question, you'd type it as a question and he'd bring up search results and answers. They sort of disappeared. I think they're still around, but not in the same capacity now. But basically, before they, they folded or got absorbed into Google, they released their top 10 unanswerable questions of the past decade. And this was based on 1.1 billion questions that came through their site. The number one question was, what is the meaning of life? It's the number one question. I find that fascinating. But even more fascinating is the second question. The second question was, is there a God? You see how people naturally put these two things together. What is the meaning of life? Is there a God? People are searching for meaning and they have a natural propensity to seek this meaning in some transcendent cause outside of themselves. And in many ways, this has been the quest of mankind for generations. There's an episode in the Gospels where a group of religious leaders try to trap Jesus by asking a question about his thoughts on taxes and government. Not much changes, but he knew what they were up to. Let me just read to you a little bit of this dialogue. So Jesus said to them, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
You see, the coin belonged to Caesar because his image was stamped on it. He then says that to God belong the things that are his. And the question that naturally arises is what are the things that are God's? And in light of what he's just done, the things that are God's are the things that he has stamped his image on. Just like the coin had Caesar's image stamped on it, he's asking us to think about what is it that has his image stamped on it. And the answer to them was us, human beings. And this is one of the most foundational teachings of Christianity. All of mankind are afforded equal honor, dignity and worth because we are image bearers of God. As an old English Puritan writer said, the soul of man bears the image of God so that nothing can satisfy it but he whose image it bears. The Bible speaks in similar, similar language where it says this in Ecclesiastes chapter three. It says that God has put eternity into man's heart. Lovely way of phrasing it. He has put eternity into man's heart. That's why we see the quest for meaning, purpose and for God. Uh, all throughout human history. This was the restless heart that Augustine wrote about when he said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. This is the God-shaped vacuum that Blaise Pascal wrote about. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. This is the unsatisfied desire that C.S. Lewis wrote about. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Wonderful way of putting it there. You see, as we think about this more deeply, the most interesting thing to grasp about an image is that it does not exist by itself. It only finds its explanation in the original which it is imaging. You think about it like that. And this profoundly impacts our question of who we are. It means that if we really want to understand what it is to be human, we must first understand something about who God is, the source of the image. So the most important question for discovering who you are is the same question that Jesus asked Peter all those years ago. Remember, it's a famous uh, part of the Gospels in the book of Matthew. I'll read to you a little bit of the dialogue again. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Again, very interesting bit of dialogue. Notice the first question that Jesus asked the people. Who do people say that I am? He's basically saying, what does the culture, what is the culture saying to you right now? And they came back with numerous different answers. This is a lesson for us. The world has many different things to say about Jesus Christ, often conflicting things. Some say he's a good man. Some say a Jewish teacher, a moralistic philosopher, or a social revolutionary. Throughout history, many different people have said many different things about Jesus Christ. Ultimately, those mean nothing. You must answer the question yourself, which is why he then turns to the disciples and he goes from what the culture says. And now he says, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And that is the question. It's not an overstatement to say that this is probably the most important question that Jesus ever asked. And it's probably the most important one any of us have to answer today, whether you know the Lord or not. And when Peter answered, as we just read, you are Christ, the son of the living God, from that moment, his entire life, his purpose and his meaning was intertwined with God's. You see, he was now commissioned to carry the message of Jesus to the world. 
And the gospel explains to us this message that we find revealed throughout the Bible explains to us why the world is like it is. It explains the brokenness, the injustice, and it tells us that our relationship with our creator has been severed, has been broken. And thus, our ultimate purpose is not being fulfilled. But God, you see, in his great love made a way for us to be forgiven, to be restored. This is exactly what Jesus came to do. This is how the gospel should be spoken of. You see, when we acknowledge our brokenness and the condition of our lives, we ask for that forgiveness. We are redeemed. Our identity is actually changed. We are redeemed. We are adopted. We are forgiven. We are restored. We are loved with an everlasting love. And also we are called and given an eternal purpose. You see, we've already seen, haven't we? The fabulous lifestyles do not necessarily satisfy. Money does not necessarily satisfy. Material things do not lead to fulfillment in life. There is an inner cry for purpose that transcends the physical things of this world. Psychology Today, it's a periodic journal, they reported on a, a suicide study that they did. And the idea of the study was to find out how to predict suicide. And what's interesting about this study is the way they, they conducted it. They analysed over 50 suicide notes that had been collected over the years, and they were looking for common themes. And the end result of this study was fascinating. I'll read you just the last summation of this study. It said this. In general, people do not attempt suicide solely because of pain. It is because they don't believe there is a reason to live and the world would be better off without them. Again, utterly tragic and that is just a lie and the gospel exposes that as a lie because there is meaning and there is purpose to this universe and coming to the lord and having that relationship restored with through jesus christ will bring you in to that new life that's why it says that we are a new creation we have all these parts of our identity changed this is why in the bible we read in second corinthians where the apostle paul is saying these words to the church he says we are ambassadors for christ that means we are diplomats who represent his kingdom on this earth. That is a high calling. That is high, a high purpose. It doesn't matter what is going on in the world. We can hold on to that. He then goes on and he says, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this exposes to us the heart of the father. He has people who are working for him on this earth and he is asking them to beg those who don't know him, that they may be reconciled to God, to find their meaning and their purpose and their identity as it was supposed to be through him. Let's jump back into history a bit as we wrap this up now. In 1866, Charles Spurgeon, the famous British preacher, he lived and ministered through a cholera epidemic that broke out in London. Uh, the, the death rates were much higher than we've experienced through COVID-19, obviously lo localised, but the death rates were higher. And when he was asked, why was God allowing this? He gave a very interesting response. Let me read it to you. He said, if you ask me what I think the design to be, I believe it is this, to waken up our indifferent population, to make them remember that there is a God, to render them susceptible to the influence of the gospel, to drive them to the house of prayer, to influence their minds to receive the word, and moreover, to startle Christians into energy and earnestness that they may work while it is called day to waken up an indifferent population. It's very similar to the phrase C.S. Lewis, where he said, pain is God's uh, megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And we need to ask ourselves, what if this disruption, this uncertainty today with COVID and everything that comes with it, 
is another opportunity for us to turn our minds away from the world and towards eternal things. And like the Apostle Paul, I would beg you on behalf of Christ, do not waste this moment. Now, while there still may be many unknowns for you all, for us, to do with the virus, the vaccines, the future and where we go from here, we can't know these things. We can worry about them, but we can't know about them. However, you won't worry about them so much if you place your life and your hope into something that is secure. And I would encourage you now to place your hope, to place your future into the hand of the one who can hold it and will carry you through. This is why in the Bible, it actually literally says that Jesus Christ is our hope. You will find this hope in the person of Jesus Christ and you will find your true meaning and your identity in that same person. In December 1939, King George VI was reigning England's monarch. England had joined the war, Second World War, just a few months previously. And as was the king's custom, a uh, custom we still see today with monarchs, he addressed the nation on the BBC radio broadcast on Christmas Day. And on this day, in uh, 1939, the king spoke words of peace to calm a nation. It was obviously the nation was terrified, unsettled, anxious, feeling many things that we can relate to, maybe if not to the same degree. But he reminded them of the only true king, the one who can provide true peace and real rest in such troubled times. And at the end of his broadcast, he read a few lines from a poem that I'm gonna read and finish with today. And it's called The Gate of the Year, which reads like this. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may trade safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand in the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth, and finding the hand of God, I trod gladly into the night. And I love that. I think it really speaks to us in our time now. We may be treading into unknown territory, but if we commit ourselves into the hand of God, we can go gladly into this territory. And I would encourage you all to do the same. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Thomas. That was a great and really interesting talk. You've been listening to Theology and Apologetics. This podcast is supported by your generous donations. To help us continue to bring you great content, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash theologyandapologetics. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please leave us a review and remember to connect with us on social media. For more resources, please go to theologyandapologetics.com. Thanks for listening.